Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this hump day here we are we are on a hump day and the weather is a whole lot better than it was a couple of days ago it's, you want to uh, feel old to start the show yeah you know the hey mike Mike, 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 Mike. Yeah. The camel commercial that started yeah. the hump day craze. Yeah. That's over 10 years old. Now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> You'll have to agree that was a great campaign. That's oh, yeah. I mean, good. people used the phrase hump day long before that commercial came out, but that's the, the one that popularized it. They were wise, I think, to leverage that in their campaigning. You know, something else that came to mind after the show yesterday we failed to mention as as far as yesterday being a remarkable day in history the iphone was introduced by steve jobs in 2007 yesterday you saw that so oh yeah oh gosh i mean so does it kind of seem like though i think a lot of people out there perhaps would agree with this we've never been without it i mean it, it, you you have to think about what was life like without that. I, I actually have thought had that thought many times. Blackberries like, and flip phones, and before that, the replaceable faceplate Nokia's. I guess. And before that, the flip phones that you had to mount in your car. But you're thinking more in terms of just voice communications, and I'm thinking about all the other tools available on the smartphone. Oh well, yeah. Um, such as how accustomed we've all become to GPS, right? Just send me a pin, and I'll figure out where to go. I mean, that was a joke. Gosh, a decade ago on the internet, where you had a picture of an ad, yep. like the the ad paper from a Radio Shack, and it had fifty to hundred different things on the front cover, and then it had an iPhone. Yeah, it's like the iPhone does everything they were selling on the front page of this ad. Unbelievable. And and when they, I remember the television ads. Remember the the slogan. There's an app for that. Oh yeah. And when you when they presented the phone, literally in the ad, video of it being used, the the kind of sliding around using your finger, touch screen to open apps and slide things off and on, it was a little hard to comprehend because that was different. That was a unique user interface. 
that we hadn't seen. But think about how much sense that makes. Well, before that, you had companies iterating on and trying to innovate different ways for you to not have to look at a keyboard, for you to just feel it tactily. Yep. And Apple and Steve Jobs and the innovators for the iPhone went, you know what? Who needs buttons? Who needs buttons? That's right, because we were accustomed to that on the BlackBerry, for example. Because the buttons cut down on screen space. No doubt. And so they figured that out. And that yeah. was one of the first things they innovated was the screens. They, they were able to make bigger screens much quicker than That's they were true. able to make more storage at the same size. That's true, because the original device, the form factor, was considerably smaller, of course, than what we're accustomed to today. And also a little clunkier, a little thicker, a little heavier, the battery. Oh, yeah. Uh, all a tribute to uh, free market capitalism and the innovation of Speaking humans. of that in space, have you seen the latest from CES? No. The Consumer Electronics Show. Always fascinating. What's oh, yeah. Up? They've, they've got translucent LEDs where it can be window panes that also display stuff. Okay. But the one that really blew my mind, and I think it's been available for a little while, but it was being showcased, one and a half terabytes on a micro SD card. The little tiny SD card that you need an adapter for to put into just about anything can hold one and a half terabytes. One and a half terabytes. I don't think you can. I don't think a phone is available today that has a terabyte. Not of internal memory, no. Yeah, external, sure. That is incredible. So the the continued compression and miniaturization technology. That's what's really driving that. That is also a, a thing. Rabbit, I think, is the name of it, where they, they're they being bold because they are assuming you will be willing to walk around with something else in your pocket Yeah. after all of the consolidation we've seen with smartphones where you just have one device that does everything. Yeah. But they're betting on the fact that if they can make it fast enough and user-friendly enough, you'll walk around with this little rabbit thing in your pocket because <laughs> it's an AI assistant. Okay. Now, the the people that are naysaying are saying, well, Apple's just going to pick up on what you're doing and put it in an app. But they're visualizing a world where you don't even need apps. You just ask for it to do something, and it does it. <laughs> that is so cool. Well, you know, I, I, I'll, uh, along the same line, share something just announced in the last week or so from Microsoft. And it, it concerns battery technology. So I, I think most people would say that battery-powered vehicles, so-called electric vehicles, just not ready for prime time for, for the applications for a lot of drivers. I'd be one of them. I mean, if you if you drive long distances quite a bit, it's just not ready. It's inconvenient. It's a problem. And then there's still some concern about the cost. There's still some debate about, are you really saving money when you consider the electrical consumption and then the fact that the batteries wear out and you got to replace them and uh, the availability of charging stations all the above are concerns agree and and that's obviously hindering broad adoption in the market but microsoft and so i've said on the program that you know we're just getting started with this battery technology we're just really in the early days of this we're in the infancy stage of what sort of innovations we may see that could change that situation, to, could, could, could render the battery-powered vehicle uh, just a lot more practical. Microsoft, using AI, 
screening 32 million materials candidates to find the proper set of materials to make the most efficient battery, better batteries. Now, you know what this, when I read it, it reminded me of something we've talked about before is how quantum computing, and by the way, they're using, it's the Microsoft quantum team using quantum computing and AI in in concert. Probably a little bit more AI than quantum. I agree at this point to filter the potential material candidates. And I immediately started thinking about pharmaceuticals and how you and I, I think have both agreed that that's going to be one of the main applications of quantum computing is just the ability to um, complete tasks at a much more rapid pace in terms of discovering new pharmaceuticals or solving problems with drugs, curing disease. And this kind of reminded me of it. It's a similar application where you're, instead of filtering, I guess, chemicals, which I'm sure chemicals were part of this process as well, because chemicals are used in making batteries. But And then that's what they said. We said, we believe that chemistry and material science are the hero scenario for full-scale quantum computers. I believe that as well at this point. And uh, said they designed Azure. Azure is the name of the Microsoft Cloud platform computing environment, Azure Quantum Elements. And that's a, uh, an environment, a te- technical environment, a cloud environment, specifically designed to enhance and accelerate uh, discovery of new materials, combinations of materials. So the point is I, I have faith in human innovation. And while I see today that, hey, EVs, they're just not ready for prime time, they're not practical, it doesn't mean let's just, let's just dismiss them and abandon um, any prospect for how EVs could possibly make sense um, as a replacement to fossil fuels vehicles. But we got a long way to go. But this is the way you do it. That's the point. It's human innovation solves human problems and th- this – Availability of these new tools, such as quantum computing and artificial intelligence, those are the key. Those, those are the key elements to making these discoveries and innovations. But I thought that was kind of neat, and it's coming from Microsoft, looking for battery technology. Yeah, the thing they're running into right now with artificial intelligence is the choke point of users trying to access the artificial intelligence because it's it's housed in the cloud, but generally it's it's decentralized somewhat, but it's not like the internet where every single computer is a node. That's right. It has to go somewhere through the computations and send it back. And because there are so many people trying to utilize it, you're seeing not throttling. It's but constraints. Yeah, like you'll ask a, a, a AI bot, give me a hundred of something, and it'll say, well, here's ten. And then you say, no, I want, I want 100. <laughs> well, here's 20. Like it, it's trying to conserve as much bandwidth as it can. That's absolutely true. It's, so we're, we're, we'll run into compute and network uh, transmission capacity and potentially storage, but it seems to be an easier problem to solve. We've got uh, Commissioner of Mississippi Department of Ag and Commerce, Andy Gibson, on at 11.05, and Representative Trey Lamar at 12.05, and tickets to give away as well. Come, come Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a Journey record jacket from the 1980s. 
Gerard Gibbert, Super Talk Mississippi. Since 94 <laughs> or 93, whenever it was released. Oh, the ceasefire text line 601-879-4395. We got tickets to give away later on the program. Uh, we got uh, all the equipment working. Of course, we are available statewide on the air. You can also tune in to ceasefire TV to catch us. And, of course, we're available on the app or the full-size uh, browser uh, site as well. You can catch us all over the place here at Super Talk. We appreciate you uh, joining us again. We've got Commissioner Andy Gibson coming on the program at 11.05. He'll be in the Element Well studio. And then Representative Trey Lamar served previously as the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. We'll get into some discussion about his plans for the 2024 legislative session as well. And uh, on the ceasefire text line, we had somebody who was it? Chris, uh, was it Chris or Tupelo? No, it was Chris from Oxford. Pardon me. Says Gerard, look and see what Hunter Biden just did. Yeah, I was catching that, Chris, as we were getting ready to uh, crank the show up. If you hadn't heard, folks, Hunter Biden and his attorney, attorneys, I believe, they went to Capitol Hill this morning, sat in the audience as the lawmakers there on a panel are considering whether to pass a resolution that would hold him in contempt of Congress. Recall when he was summoned to appear before the Congress, rather than doing so, he had a press conference out there on the steps of the Capitol and, uh, and essentially was defiant and disobeyed the order, did not comply with the order. I think the rest of and us didn't would, even have the temerity to hold the press conference somewhere else. No, it's just right outside where you're supposed capital. to be. Yeah, exactly. You're at what, 100 yards, maybe? <laughs> a few steps up through the doors to where you needed to be or you were supposed to be? Totally insane. That's all Almost we know. like he was touting his untouchability. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. So, and, and here he goes again. I will just show up with my lawyers while they're deliberating my fate. With respect to this contempt charge, totally incredible. No doubt about it. Uh, we'll see where all that goes. But, yeah, that just literally happened. Keith and Vaden said, okay, you're blowing my mind talking about all the, the tech well, He was stuff. asking what exactly is a terabyte, and I was explaining to oh, him yeah. that. Oh, yeah, I see it now, yeah. There's a 1,000 gigabytes, roughly, in a terabyte. That's right. But to break it down into, into like, physical media, a lot of people can understand a floppy disk. Yep. In a terabyte, there's more than 728,000 floppy disks worth of data 
and now they're able to fit all of that and more into a little bitty SD card that is smaller than the size of your pinky nail. Uh, it is incredible. Uh, and when you look at the, the various measurements of storage, so you're familiar with m- megabytes, uh, gigabytes, terabytes. I can't remember. Is it, it, I used to know that stuff off Petabyte. the top. What is it? Peta? Yeah, after Terra, it's Peta. Okay. And then is it Zeta? Uh, Z- it's Exa, then Zeta. Exa, then Zeta. Okay. Had them backwards. So, And those are just... They're they're 1,024 times the previous level, essentially. The previous volume is how it works. And it's 1,024 because it's based on 8 bits. So, And a lot of times you'll see the conflation between megabit and megabyte. Typically, speeds are in megabits, yeah. whereas um, storage is usually in bytes for obvious reasons. So, yeah, it's incredible, you know, having watched that. I remember selling IBM PCATs when they had, wow, 40 megabyte hard disk. And the hard disks were 2500 bucks for 40 megabyte. And, of course, they were five and a quarter inch form factor. We thought that was revolutionary, and it was at the time. And had these really long cables that plugged into the system board to connect them to the processor and so forth. And they weighed a fair amount. But a 40 meg equipped IBM PCAT in the 1985-86 time frame, as I recall, had a list price of $5,295. And that was with 256K of RAM, I think, and that you could expand up to a meg. 1,024. Think about that today, where we, that's measured in gig. So, yeah, I incredible. Mean, the Apollo 11 went to the moon with 64 kilobytes of memory. 64K was big. And, of course, programmers were limited by the amount of random access memory, which figured into how complex their programs could be. Uh, the processor had, had to – that stuff has to be in real-time memory to, to be processed – and so there's so much you could actually work on at any point in time. And as we continue to expand the limits of, of, of random access memory storage, that, of course, gives rise to all kinds of innovation in, in software design develop. So it's a cat-and-mouse game that's been going on, honestly, for 60 years, back from the mainframe days. More, more computing horsepower and storage, more sophisticated software. And then the software guys would say, hey, we need more. And they say, oh, shoot, okay, here's, here's a way we can get more. And it's, uh, you know, a function of cost. It wasn't that we couldn't do it. It's just how much is it going to cost to do that. But, gosh, what did you say a minute ago? A, a terabyte in a, in a mini SIM? Yeah, one, 1. 1.5 terabytes in a micro SD card. Okay. That is incredible. Uh, I, 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 can't even, I can't even comprehend it. Uh, 1.5 terabytes in a micro SD Wow. And, of course, that's, um, that just means all the, all the SD and flash storage and all that stuff, we, you know, we don't have mechanical storage anymore, thank, thankfully. That's one of the reasons all the devices are so small and thin. You know, the footprint of, let's say, a standard notebook or laptop or pad or what, whatever, um, it's because we figured out a way to essentially store data in electronic rather than format, rather than um, the analog format stored on the platter of a hard disk. 
with heads to read it. It's incredible, honestly. So it's, it's a tribute, once again, to innovation and free market capitalism, something that seems like the left in this country doesn't really understand or appreciate, or when they do, they just want to tax the hell out of it. Uh, by the way, speaking of taxes, California, their wealth tax, something that the Democrats in Washington desperately want to implement, a tax on wealth, not income, looks like it is going to effect. The Democrats, of course, get this in California. They now have a $68 billion budget shortfall. $68 billion. In the state of Mississippi, now, of course, population in California is 13-plus X of the state, but the budget in the state of Mississippi is roughly $6 billion. They have a deficit of 10 times our budget. It's hard to fathom. But they're imposing a 1.5% tax on the worldwide net worth of every full and part-time California resident whose Net worth exceeds a billion dollars, but there's a lot of billionaires in California. So the, you know, we've always, also the only people that can afford to just up and leave whenever they want, which gets lost. Of course, they're wanting to track them, right? If you still have assets in California, or if you built assets while you worked in California, you built well, we're still going to tax you even though you don't live here. I don't know how the hell that's going to work out, but that is the plan. But this is what's incredible: is that you could look at. Certain assets are pretty easy to determine the increase in the wealth, or not the wealth, the value of those assets from a starting point, let's say January 1 to December 31 in a given year. You could look at, okay, what were those publicly traded at from the beginning to the end, and any increase would be taxed. But there's a lot of other assets that, like real estate, private equity assets, uh, assets held offshore, art. I mean, there's just a number of other assets you could think of. Well, who's going to figure out that change in value, if any? It turns out, get this, it's going to be the California Franchise Tax Board. They're going to tax all assets which aren't publicly traded. I'm sure that'll work just fine. And I know this is California, and folks are saying, why are you talking about that? i tell you why. Because this is what the Democrats want to do across the nation in Washington. It's part of, it's a central theme in Joe Biden's plan. And if they get control such that they could implement something like this, they're jumping all over it, I promise. And it probably won't be a billion-dollar threshold. They're talking about a hundred-million-dollar threshold. Unbelievable. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well Studio. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk, Mississippi. In the Element Well Studio, are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance 
Between income growth and guarantees, we got the NASDAQ up about 40 points. The Dow was up earlier close to 100. It is uh, now uh, retreated just a little bit, I think, currently up about 40 points. So it's it's a bit volatile, no doubt. We have a debate coming up tonight, uh, Rhino, that will feature only two Republican candidates in Iowa. Those uh, would be Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis was uh, on um, on last night with Martha McCallum and Brett Baer uh, in Iowa discussing his plans. It was kind of a town hall format. They did Nikki Haley the night before. And so we'll see what happens tonight with these two candidates on the stage. They're starting to really jab at each other a little bit. No doubt about that. We were talking about storage stuff, something I wanted to just pass on. I know most people probably know this, but SD, the little SD, uh, mini SDs you were talking, what do you call it, mini, micro? Micro SD. Micro, okay. It's the smallest one they offer at this point. Um, those are That's removable media. That's secure digital. That's uh, is what the SD stands for. You know, they can wear out. The pins can oh, yeah. over time, so you have to be careful that. The internal storage that I was talking about now that's no longer mechanical, um, spinning disks, platters with heads that went in and out, um, that, of course, is uh, SSD, solid-state drive. So it's essentially it's like your main memory somewhat. It's that same sort of uh, technology, same sort of fi- form factor. It's um, it's like if you could just imagine a, just a big chunk of memory, if you will, but it's secondary storage. It's not the primary storage, which would be the random access memory in your machine, but this solid state, meaning there are no moving parts. That's the benefit. So you don't have head crashes and, and failing uh, mechanical components that you did in hard disk. You don't have so-called hard disk failure, if you will. So uh, massive advances, that's the point. So we can store more, it's more reliable, and it costs more. And it's smaller, consumes less electricity, all the above. Again, this is just why I, I constantly have faith in human innovation to solve problems, uh, human problems. And, and it got me thinking about this battery technology that Microsoft's working on. doesn't mean tomorrow we're going to have you know, brand-new batteries to install in these electric vehicles that aren't selling very well for obvious reasons. But it just means that there's a lot in the works, which I think is pretty cool. Um, I caught a story early this morning. This crisis at the border is uh, rapidly becoming one of the most important to Americans and, and something that is of great concern to most clear-eyed people in this country. But there's a school in New York City that is forcing its students into remote learning because they're sheltering 2,000 migrants in the building, in the school building. This is insane. This is crazy. So this is so-called who we are? We're giving preferential treatment? Use of taxpayer-funded assets like a school that's supposed to be used to teach our kids? We're just saying, okay, kids, you go to remote learning, which we now all have learned it doesn't work and caused our our students, our youngsters, to fall behind. We all know that now because the schools were closed during COVID. 
and the egregious, selfish labor unions, education labor unions, led by Randy Weigarten over there, they're a big part of the reason schools remain closed and didn't open up on a timely basis when they could. But we're but we're we're get, we're showing favoritism to illegal migrants over American children. That's the point. That's what's happening here. This is crazy. I, I just I can't comprehend it. So that's what happens when you let the tail wag the dog? When you let feelings get in the way of facts? Well, that's what's happening. When you let liberals run wild? Well, I mean, everybody in the country ought to be talking about this because this is effectively because of them and their twisted policies and this idea of we just got to give millions of people asylum, which you know is horse hockey. They're not here for asylum. They're here for the bennies. That's what they're here for. Um, And what made me think about it was I thought Mr. DeSantis performed honestly quite well last night. Best I've seen him. He, uh, He really opened up and he did very well in espousing his policies and giving us a, an idea of where he stood on the issues and how he would govern. Now, as always, I, I find myself looking for more details like, okay, I, I'm with you that Americans are, are being crushed by inflation that I largely believe was driven by Joe Biden's policies, and I've explained that on the program. And sure, I, I want to see that moderated, if not in full retreat, where we maybe see a little deflation and see a return of of prices of the common goods and services we, uh, we all need to, to exist, go back to where they were. I think that's where a lot of people would like to see us go. And he, of course, mentioned that, but he didn't offer any plan on how to get there. Uh, something he did talk about that I was not aware of, folks, that, that I think is of interest here in Mississippi – you may have seen the program, uh, his his town hall, but he said that in Florida, they either eliminated, I think eliminated, or greatly reduced the sales tax on baby items as a way to help families who are raising babies, raising children. So if you think about diapers and formula and all that, it's been a while for me, all the other stuff you would buy to care for a baby, they are not subject to sales tax in the state of Florida, which, by the way, is higher than it is in the state of Mississippi. I thought that was interesting. That was an interesting take. In fact, he, he, he joked, and this was good, that he made kind of a funny. He said his, his wife suggested to him, hey, why didn't you do this when, our, when you were governor and our children were younger, where we could have benefited from this personally? But that, that was interesting. I thought that was a creative idea, honestly. If you think about um, how that perhaps relates to the subject of abortion, where we try to encourage mothers who are thinking about uh, about aborting their babies to to continue them to term and deliver those babies and let them have a life outside the mother's womb, and a lot of the reason they want to abort is because of fear of the the economic burden. Well, this is a way to address that. I thought that made sense. And he did talk about his his support for drilling and fracking, which I think all Republican candidates have indicated support for. Donald Trump has certainly 
indicated that that would be a top priority for him. In fact, he said day one, you know, we would reverse all the onerous, restrictive Biden policies that honestly seek to completely eliminate and abolish the fossil fuels industry. But he got asked about, okay, why do you have these restrictions on uh, drilling around Florida? And he, he answered that in a way that made sense to me. He said it's extremely risky over water, some of these these drilling uh, methods. And they have some restrictions. And, of course, Florida is a peninsula. So, I mean, it's got it's surrounded by a lot of water. And, and uh, so there's some restrictions on the Florida coastline. But he said, you know, where you don't have that risk, um, he, he totally supported it, such as in the Permian Basin which we're all aware of, is, is kind of ground zero for fracking. He also indicated his supports for ter- support for term limits for members of Congress and, of course, a balanced budget, which I appreciate, but, okay, how are you going to balance the budget? What's your, what's your, what are the details of your plan from a revenue and spending perspective to get the budget balanced? Because right now we got a $2 trillion hole. And he also called for something a lot of presidents have, line-item veto authority, right? They send me this crazy spending bill, and I could go through and just cross out the things that I don't want in there. And, of course, that is subject to override back in the Congress. And the other thing he said was uh, some sort of ban on, on trading. He um, He supports banning members of Congress from... Uh, directly trading securities, that that would have to be done through a a blind trust. You're seeing some momentum there, but they can't seem to get enough support in the Congress to uh, get that passed. I honestly don't think it's that – I don't think it's as big a problem as a lot of people think it is. Let's put it that way. Uh, But I do think just the optics are a problem, and there would be some value – in restricting that, just from just get rid of that issue and say, okay, we we took care of that. Let's uh, you you can you can rest now, and we're going to focus on things to move the country forward. Well, we got another segment here in hour one of middays, and after that, it's uh, Andy Gibson, Commissioner, of Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce. Stay with us. Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Welcome back, everyone. It's midday. Super Talk Mississippi. Apologize for that noise you heard in the background. It was a video I was trying to get to load, and it finally loaded. I thought I had it on mute. And I'll tell you what this video is. It's kind of problematic, so I don't know if we can play it. It's technically problematic to, to get it to play when you want it to. And that's the only copy I can find. But it has to do with a couple of journalists that were in Washington, and they were 
awaiting his appearance at the federal courthouse. And that was yesterday when they were having the hearing on his immunity, his criminal immunity. Talking about Trump? Yeah, talking about Trump. I'm sorry if I didn't say that. Yep, Donald Trump. And his his vehicle escorting him was coming through. And there was some journalists, of course, outside waiting. And they were joking about assassinating him. You, you're saying you saw it. Nuts. So they said, uh, one of the journalists says, you know what the worst part is? Even if he has his window open and he's hanging out of it, he will be on the other side of the street. I mean, if he's driving, we've got a good shot. Now, they're joking about this. They're not serious, but they're joking about assassinating a former president. I feel like that's, and this is coming from someone who has little to no love for mainstream media and the vast majority of journalists in general. I think the the public would be better served if they hated these people because they don't like you. That's so true. But when you're dealing with cameras and video cameras and, and the likes, you tend to use the word shoot and shot pretty often. Well, you could be right, but here, but here's what they go on to say. Yeah, if he's driving with a front window open, question mark. Yeah, or if it's a convertible, question mark. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Yeah, like if he just pulls up, like JFK. And then the other journalist laughs. And then the uh, other says, maybe someone, just like they told JFK, you know what you should do? You should take a convertible. It's so nice out, as as meaning in... Uh, implying you're setting him up for what was a fatal multiple shots, most people believe. Um, But it's inappropriate, though, Uh, honestly. I I hear what you're saying. When I first heard the audio, I thought it was from the videos from today. After Hunter Biden stormed out of the committee (laughs) hearing, there were a couple journalists that asked him questions about crack. I think one of the questions was, what crack did you usually smoke? And the other one was, are you on crack today? Oh, my gosh. It's so crazy that this is what we're all wrapped up about, honestly. But there's no secret that Donald Trump is not lauded by journalists, for the most part. And especially when you consider that the vast majority of journalists are left-leaning. But what is this obsession? Why do they have such deep contempt, I mean, flat-out hate for the man. I think it's because he exposes them. Because they know never in their miserable lives will they ever accomplish a tenth of what he has. A lot of it is that, isn't it? And they consider themselves to be above him intellectually, so they are very petty and very envious of what he has achieved because they know they'll never get there, even though they think they're smarter and better than him, and that causes great envy and strife in their personal lives. It's, um, because they're worthless individuals. There's no doubt that envy and resentment cause a lot of problems in this country. They, it's they the do. foundation for everything Almost that happens everything. on the left. I, I agree with you on that. And that's why they're so miserable, as you point out. So miserable. Todd from Brandon says, do you think Mexico would shut down their schools to house 2,000 Americans? Nope. I agree. No, they wouldn't, Todd. No other country would, of course. No doubt. If uh, Jeff and Carrollton, if these crazy taxes get much worse, people may go back to putting their cash in their mattress. I hear you. 
Andy and Jackson, now that y'all are fully up and running, you can claim, yeah, we bad. We nationwide. ZZ Top. How appropriate is that? Since we got ZZ Top tickets to give away later on in the program, they are, of course, coming to the Brandon Amphitheater on March the 20th. Mo says, my first VIC-20, I think that was a Commodore, if I'm not mistaken, computer, came with 64 kilobytes of storage. You can't do anything with that little storage now. Oh, yeah, there's no software that would run on 64K that I'm aware of these days. Nothing graphical, no. Yeah, certainly not with any kind of rich content. I'm sure there's a text-based adventure game out there somewhere. Still floating around. Yeah, I agree. Was it Q? Was that one of them? Yeah. Rick and Gulfport, they hate what they cannot affect or control. Trump doesn't owe them anything and doesn't need them for anything. There's certainly some truth to that. Uh, Thomas says he didn't get to watch the news. He wants to know how the speaker is faring. Shows, uh, yeah, shows how weak and powerless Republicans are. Uh, the Speaker of the House of Representatives in Washington has got his hands full. They're trying to get something done. To keep the government from shutting down, if I were a betting man right now, I'd say we're going to have another continuing resolution. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. When we return, it's Commissioner Andy Gibson. Stay with us. And now, now. another hour of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour two of Middays is live with you now, and we are in the Element Well studio on this hump day. We welcome to the program now the Commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Agriculture and Commerce, Commissioner Andy Gibson. Good to see you there, Commissioner. Happy New Year to you, sir. Happy New Year to you, Gerard. Good to be back. Good to talk to everybody today. Yes, sir. So uh, we were talking about the inauguration, the inaugural ball yesterday, and, of course, all the festivities uh, that goes along with uh, the inauguration of our governor. Maybe the social calendar is getting behind us now. <laughs> yeah, we've had a lot to do and a little time to do it in, which has been a full week. And uh, my wife, Leslie, and I were able to go to the ball last night and kind of wrap that up, and it was a great event. A lot of people, a lot of people turned out for the governor's ball. I mean, yeah. We're, we're over the Coliseum and Trademark, and that place was slam full. Golly, and we are uh, so fortunate to have the Trademark. What a what a necessary improvement in that asset. It is. <laughs> it has been, and it's proven to be a, a financially good investment uh, because it is the most rented building on the entire Fairgrounds campus. It's rented almost every day of the year, yeah. multiple events per day, and so it's it's paying uh, for itself and doing what it's supposed to do, uh, providing a great asset for the people of Mississippi. Yeah. Well, we appreciate your leadership and helping to uh, secure that and all the other improvements we've made there at the Fairgrounds, well, part of your purview. A huge shoot. Shout out to uh, Senator Cindy Hyde Smith, who who planted that seed years ago. We were able to help bring it to fruition, but it, you know, and in, in the government and public service, uh, things have a way of continuing on to the next administration. So yeah. we, we were a part of that, and glad to be part of it. Yeah. Glad, glad to get it up and running. In fact, I'm proud we opened it during the COVID pandemic. Nobody else was doing anything. We finished the job, and we opened it and had it for the state fair that October of 2020. That's true. 
Yeah. All right, so let's uh, let, let's get uh, kind of an update on how the uh, the industry, the agriculture industry uh, specifically, is doing in the state of Mississippi. Of course, you, you've shared with the audience many times it is uh, in aggregate the largest mm-hmm. um, industry in our state in terms of dollars. It is the largest economic driver in the state of Mississippi do- dollars in terms of uh, annual uh, production. Uh, this year, we also uh, we, we had uh, a couple of different unique factors. One of them everybody's aware of, the terrible drought that we suffered as a state, not only the state but the whole country. So we were dealing with that. And when the numbers came out uh, in December, frankly, I was surprised that we actually had, uh, due to the perseverance of our Mississippi farmers, we had a second all-time record production year for agriculture as a whole. Now, there were some commodities that were up and some that were down, but I think it's a testament to the perseverance of our farmers and getting the job done. Uh, we, the, the total came in this past year for 23 at $8.8 billion farm gate value. That's everything from uh, soybeans, uh, corn, and cotton, and poultry is our number one industry. Timber, uh, we, we've, you know, we've had a lot of difficulties with this drought that's killed a lot of trees. Yeah. And we're going to see, I'm sure, repercussions from that for years to come. But uh, to have a second all-time record production year in the worst drought we've seen in, in decades, half a century, uh, I, I'm, I'm proud of our farmers. So when you thank a farmer, thank them especially for keeping on going during 2023 and, and 2024. We're not out of this drought yet. Yeah. Uh, the rainfall we've had, we thank the Lord for it, but it's not gotten us to where we need to be for the coming planting season. So we, we look forward to having some more rain to moisten the soil and get ready for 2024. What about just general challenges, Commissioner, with uh, supply chain? Is that still a problem? I mean, and that affects everything, of course, from the farmers shipping their commodities, transporting them, but also uh, goods and services and parts and components and equipment they need to do their job is affected by that as well. Yeah, we've never caught back up with supply chain issues uh, from where we were pre-COVID. COVID was the, the nightmare of all nightmares. It shut down industries all over America and all over the world yeah. for so long a time. And frankly, the demand's never decreased. It's only increased. So we, we've we never come out of that completely. That's one of the factors why everything's so much more expensive. And when it comes to agriculture, our farmers now are paying you know nearly twice as much to, to get a crop in the ground and, and harvest it as, as they were before so it's cut into margins at the same time as prices have gone up and uh, farmers have kept on during that but the supply chain is still a challenge it's still difficult to find all the parts you need or all the all the equipment you need there's been some recovery of that as people have slowed buying for example tractors with the high interest rates and everything you know that, that that has slowed a lot of economic activity so you can find some more stuff there was a period of time you couldn't buy a tractor if you wanted, if you had the money to pay yeah. cash. But it's better than that, but not like it used to be. So we we just got to persevere, keep on keeping on, and uh, we'll get through it. And uh, again, I can't express enough. Uh, we need to thank our farmers because our farmers, as few as they are uh, compared to the total population, they're providing a hundred percent of what we eat and what we wear in terms of our cotton and fiber production and the roof over our heads. So thank a farmer now more than ever. Yeah. No doubt about it. We um, we're blessed with having uh, such a thriving agricultural industry in our state. It, it means a lot to our economy, and and uh, we're blessed with just uh, perfect conditions for that here. I tell people, and I get to travel the world to promote our state, and 
uh, I tell everybody where I go, if it's worth growing, we grow it better than anybody else right here in Mississippi. We have such a diverse production, sweet potatoes. I mean, everything you want is right here. Blueberries is in Mississippi, everything, all the good stuff of life. Yeah. All right, so we got the greatest show on dirt coming up here pretty soon, the Dixie National Rodeo, and I know this is a big deal for you and your department. Uh, give us an outlook here. Well, it is. It's, the, it's actually the largest rodeo east of the Mississippi River, and it's been going on here since 1968, and uh, we are going to keep it going inside the Coliseum. We were very appreciative of the legislature's support of our efforts to renovate the Coliseum, as, of course, as they built the trademark, and uh, we have had three back-to-back records for the Dixie National Rodeo the last three years, and we're on track to do that again. We've got a great lineup starting February the 9th when it comes to entertainment. Uh, we've got uh, uh, folks like Tracy Bird and Connor Smith and Chris Cagle, Megan Maroney, Sammy Kershaw, Corey Kent, and Parma Lee are going to be doing the musical performances. But on top of that, these are the best cowboys and cowgirls from all over the world. We literally have people flying here from Australia and all over the globe to compete in this Dixie National Rodeo. We'll have, on top of that, uh, most people may not know, at the same time we have a livestock show and horse shows that are going on that bring people from all uh, I think we had 48 states represented last year at, at the fairgrounds. So that place is slam full. Wow. When, when it's in full swing that first weekend, uh, there's no way to get around. It's almost as crowded as the governor's ball was last night. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, a lot of people in one place for one great event and it's all about agriculture. So we're proud of that. And uh, we're going to kick it off. In fact, it's already started. We had a cutting horse show last weekend. We've got the uh, uh, this weekend. We've got the uh, the rodeo queens uh, pageant that's coming up this weekend. And we've added a couple of new things for this year uh, that I want to get out there to the people. We, thanks to the sponsorship, we 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 raise. In fact, the Dixie National operates 100 percent off of funds that are generated by uh, non-government sources. The entire fairgrounds does. We're running at 100 percent special. Funds, it's, it pays for itself. So uh, we had Southern Ag Credit, who I can give a big shout out to come be our, our uh, presenting sponsor for the Dixie National Rodeo. With their support, we're able to do some new things, such as Kids Day okay. on February 13th during the day. I think it's from nine to ten thirty. Any school group out there that wants to come, bring those kids for free. We already have four thousand children signed up to come this year uh, for uh, for the Kids Day. That's on the 13th of February, and it's a learning opportunity. They'll get booklets and information. And, uh, you know, we've also had uh, interest in what we call the Cowboy Corner in the atrium, uh, where you can get your hair cut, get your hat uh, shaped, and, uh, you know, buy uh, what you need in terms of uh, rodeo gear and uh, apparel there and the atrium and the trademark. So some new things, and I just want to give a big shout-out and appreciation to our partners at Southern Ag Credit for stepping up and providing uh, that sponsorship. Absolutely. So uh, say the dates again for the Dixie National. The dates uh, are for the Dixie National Rodeo, February the 9th uh, through uh, uh, February the 15th. And now the way we do it, we've changed this. And one reason we've had such success the last few years is we've got two weekends, Friday, February 9th, Saturday, February 10th, and Sunday, February 11th. 
Then we we uh, they they ride slack Monday and Tuesday, pick it back up Wednesday, February twelfth, all the way through Saturday, February fifteenth. So now we have two weekends. We used to just have one, okay. And it's drawn a lot more people and a lot more uh, families are able to come. And what I love about the rodeo is it's America's original sport. Uh, it is the original American sport, and we still stand for the national anthem and we still open in prayer. And uh, when we see that flag. Everybody is respectful, and we, we're going to keep it that way at the Dixie National Rodeo. Huge economic impact uh, to the community and the state Millions, well. millions of dollars. Yeah. All these people who come from other states, they spend their money, and it's uh, been a great thing for Mississippi. For all these years, we're going to keep it going strong. Commissioner, always good to see you, sir. Appreciate you coming in and giving us an update, and we look forward to a fantastic Dixie National Rodeo. Thank you, sir. Take care. God bless. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. That keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, folks. Uh, earlier, we we uh, told you about Hunter Biden and his lawyers just bebopping in the, the house up there in Washington. He can, he can make that because they're talking about him committing contempt, which being he did. Being held in contempt. Being yeah. held in. They're, they're discussing that and whether or not to he did and pursue it and that sort of stuff. And so I just saw footage on the screen here in, in the... Uh, in the studio, surrounded by a sea of reporters, as you would expect. Like, there's the first son, as he is known, with all the cameras and the journalists around him. And so you told the audience uh, earlier when we were discussing that that he got asked a very direct, uh, pointed question. Here we go. Would you please, I'll answer your question if you be quiet and let me make a statement, okay? What kind of crack do you normally smoke, Mr. Biden? <laughs> What kind of crack do you <laughs> It's sad, man. It is. But, dude, you're the one that took pictures of yourself smoking crack. And, of course, if you take digital pictures, all you got to do is put it out there one time. Someone at your level, that's global in a matter of minutes. So, yeah, there he is at his own. I'm, I'm looking at it right now. It's him sitting in the gallery there on Capitol Hill, showing up at his own contempt hearing, flanked by his attorneys. 
It's bizarre. It totally is. Wow. So Tom Emmer, the Minnesota congressman, is currently being interviewed about the incident right now and what uh, I'm watching here on the screen, the television. It's just crazy. Chris from Oxford said they also asked him if he was on crack today. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, you know what? Like I said, it's not a secret. You got a problem. Didn't he even say he did, right? I mean, trying to gather up Parmesan cheese off the floor and stuff like that. I mean, I laugh, but that's sad, man. You're sick when you got that problem. So you expose yourself like that, and then you show up at the United States Capitol. When well, here's the thing. The oh, woe is me, I'm a victim act wouldn't work for either you or I. Right. If we had an addiction problem and we took pictures of ourselves engaging in the addiction, doing illicit drugs, and then got caught and were, heaven forbid, going to go to jail, we couldn't play the oh, woe is me card. That's true. That is so true. With your father being the president of the United States, who won't even talk about it, and whose surrogates say, well, he loves his son. Okay, well, that doesn't make you unique, and it doesn't really address the issue here. Sounds a lot like he was enabling his son. I totally. Totally agree. You know, Joe always likes to share these anecdotes about him and his father. Jay Joey! You know, all the time. Maybe you need to think about your rearing of your own son. Because you're complicit here. When you got a son that's got those kinds of problems, something was missing. I'm not saying that you can totally prevent such outcomes as a parent. Sometimes it's just impossible. You just got a a kid that's got kind of a defiant mindset. But I don't know if that's the case here. I just wonder if that Joey was selfishly worried about himself and his political fortunes than he was his son. Uh, You know, I don't know. I don't have access to that. But here's what kind of makes you at least think about that, is the amount that the president lies about his history and his past. Most recently, this weekend, at the church, the black church in uh, Charleston, where he said he spent more time there as a civil rights activists than the black members of the church. That's just not true. And there's nobody out there that can confirm that, that can, that can uh, assess that that is the actual truth. No, nobody can verify it. He just keeps saying that kind of crap. So, well, it's because for the first several decades of his political career, nobody called him on it. I mean, if you do something true. in any job for 30-plus years, you get the hang of it. It becomes second nature, and you don't even think about it. You just do. Well, you sh- you shared with me something uh, after the show yesterday that is a stark contrast in, in statements made, uh, if you can find that, by the, by the president, a very short little video, one in 87 and one recently, right, that ha- that's related to this civil rights claim. Uh, by the former president, 
And But this guy has a history, does he not, of statements that have been captured on video or audio and then making statements later on at some point in his life that totally conflict. In some cases, almost refute what he said. Here we go. Listen up. I've spent more time in uh, the uh, Bethel AME Church in Wilmington, Delaware, than I have uh, than most people I know, black or white, have spent in that church. Because that's why I started. Civil, no, I'm serious. I started a civil rights movement. So that's from just now. a few days ago. Yeah. Now it's him in 1987. During the 60s, I was, in fact, very concerned about the civil rights movement. I was not an activist. I worked at an all-black swimming pool in the east side of Wilmington, Delaware. I was involved. I was involved in what, what they were thinking, what they were feeling. I was involved, but I was not out marching. I was not down in Selma. I was not anywhere else. So that's in complete contrast, right, to what he said this weekend. And it also shows the duplicity of the mainstream media, because Nikki Haley is an obvious racist because she said she has black friends, but Joe Biden, I worked in an all-black pool. I knew what they were thinking. And And that's that's not racist somehow? Is that even true, though, that worked in an all-black That seems weird to me. I don't know. Well, that was the genesis of his weird corn pop story. (laughs) Corn pop was a bad dude. Oh, my gosh. This is crazy. By the way, I'm watching video now of the students filing out of the school in New York to make way for the migrants. This is crazy. This is insane. I don't even know how else to describe it. They're kicked out of their own school to make way for people who came here illegally. It's the stupidity of bleeding heart liberals incarnate. Golly. Unbelievable. Totally. By the way, this is James Madison High School. I'm surprised that James Madison survived. It's still, it's still named thusly. Incredible. You or I would be in jail. Yeah, just like Rhino said on the ceasefire text line. And he also asked him if he was on crack today. You said that too, right? You caught that. Yeah. <laughs> Golly, he's a serial liar idiot, says Paul Meridian. Yeah, it's definitely a two-tier justice system. People from January 6th. Aren't allowed to have bail, but Hunter Biden, it was clearly broken the law, trying to purchase a firearm, gets diddly. Um, No doubt that the weaponization and the almost commandeering of many of the agencies in the, the bureaucratic swamp in Washington are being used as a tool for political gain and benefit by some people, such as Joe Biden. That's a big problem. There's no doubt about that. But it was happening long before Biden entered the Oval Office. It, it was. It just seems like it's been I mean, just look at the crap-eating grin on Peter Strzok's face in the committee hearing. No doubt about it. And, and probably as or much as... the meetings as, on the tarmac for Obama. That's uh, true. Uh, I totally agree with that uh, about Hillary. Um, so you you got to believe that um, this is one of the things the left detests about Donald Trump, and why I think so many people continue to support Donald Trump, because he really is the first candidate for president that I can think of that even started talking about that, really, and exposing it, regardless of what you think about the guy. And there's, I don't align 100% with any candidate. There's things I like. 
things I don't. If I voted for him twice, and if he's the nominee, I'll certainly vote for him again at this point. I think he's going to be the nominee in March, honestly. But he did. He called attention to that. He brought it out, brought it to the forefront. And it needed to be. And he knows that there's more work to be done because it's been amplified under Joe Biden, honestly. We're sort of, I think, worse than where we were pre-Trump in, uh, when, when he defeated Hillary Clinton in 2016. I think we're back to where we were in Obama plus some, honestly. Well, that is Eric Clapton and Cream bumping us out of this segment. We're in the Element Well studio today, and at 12.05, it's Representative Trey Lamar. Stay around. Hey, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbons on Super Talk Mississippi. Back, everyone, Chicago. One of their iconic tunes, a huge hit, Saturday in the Park. We are back with you in the Element Wealth uh, Studio. You've probably seen uh, the news about the Mississippi Braves departing Pearl, the city of Pearl, where they play the double A team associated with the Atlanta Braves franchise, and of course the concerns expressed by a lot are that the city invested a whole bunch of money in building a stadium to accommodate the Braves. They, of course, then rent the stadiums the way it works, and the expectation is that it would have a positive economic impact. Typically, those kinds of things do, but it takes a while to pay back the investment and then start producing a return. And I think uh, the concerns are that the city's going to fall short of that. Now, it's been announced that there are some, including Trustmark, who is the title sponsor of the facility. They're looking for perhaps, oh, pardon me, a new baseball team to play, and of course they intend to use the facility for other events that are appropriate as well, uh, it's always a risk. You know, when cities do this and communities invest in these stadium facilities uh, for sports franchises, and they, they hold a lot of leverage when they're negotiating those kinds of deals, so we shall see. Kind of a sad deal. I you know, if you look at the Braves' history, and really the history with a lot of major league franchises, their minor league teams, they, they can kind of move around. And in this case, I think the Braves have announced they're trying to get all of their teams in the state of Georgia. Which is the way it was in the 90s and early 2000s yeah. before they started expanding their operations and moving their teams around. That's right. So Gwinnett, of course, uh, is the... Uh, the town that's in Atlanta, uh, where the AAA team 
So you got the major league and the triple A. Of course, Atlanta's was big. It Greenville, Georgia, that had the the team before Mississippi. I think it was Greenville, South Carolina. Was it not? I thought I could be wrong. The before I the, double check the double A team that moved here, right? So, but nonetheless, this is uh, this has received a lot. Yeah, Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah, relieved a lot of attention. Uh, Thomas and Greenwood says, "Don't worry, the city will make." up for it through insurance camera revenue. Like I said, Thomas, uh, buy insurance. Be legal. Don't break the law. You got nothing to worry about. I hear what you're saying, but that's nothing, obviously, in terms of revenue compared to what the debt is on uh, this stadium. Uh, Also, I think I saw Rhino where the City of Pearl's credit rating has been downgraded as well. Now, I don't think this happened before, uh, pardon me, after this announcement. I think it was happening before, and it's largely due to this debt that they have on the balance sheet, and the credit rating agencies not really seeing the revenue coming in to cover that debt and produce a return and ensure long-term financial stability. Uh, for the city. So they, they got their work cut out for them. You know, I, I should be clear that the current administration in Pearl was not involved in these negotiations. It was a prior administration to bring the Embrace here and incur the debt to build the stadium. But, you know, unfortunately, the way people look at stuff like this, they, they usually are quick to attach that to whoever's in office at the time when you have this sort of departure. But this is um, its kind of a sad deal uh, for the city of Pearl, for central Mississippi, in my view, because you've got this really fine stadium. I mean, it's a fine facility and a great parking lot. It's easy to get to, all the above. I think it's fair to say that the Bass Pro Shop that's uh, in front there, somewhat adjacent to it, I think that was largely driven by the construction of the stadium and the location of the Braves I mean, you could argue the vast majority of the growth around the stadium was due to the stadium, yeah. No doubt. And, that, and of course, that's obviously figured into the economic impact, uh, but it doesn't appear that that's really uh, achieving the expected revenue results, let's put it that way. So you've got an outlet mall in the area as well. You've got numerous hotels. And that it all looks good, honestly. But, uh, you know, the proof's in the money. I mean, not to kick them while they're down, but it does feel like their hesitance to upgrade and update their video capabilities Yeah, in the era of streaming and everything being available via video kind of put them behind the eight ball. That's true. Could could have been uh, more creative. But, you know, uh, you just wonder if this was the plan because that, that's the problem. You've, there's been some national articles written about this uh, this situation in the national financial journals, and there's kind of a history of that, you know, and with respect to the Braves organization, ownership there. And it, I don't think they're alone in this respect. They're going to go – I mean, they have leverage, right? They can go shopping, these, these big sports franchises. They can go shopping, and there are a lot of cities that are more than willing to ante up and meet their needs. So I don't I don't blame them for leveraging that, but the folks who make those decisions at the municipal level have got to be more careful. There's no doubt about that. 
and uh, really be more diligent in the creation of these contracts to protect on the downside to a greater extent. And I think that's kind of what happened here. But that's um, And you can see more about that, by the way, on our website, supertalk.fm. Great uh, pieces on there. Keith and Vaden. Oh, we ain't going to read that, Keith. I hear you. Gary in the Berg says, certain things are scary. Lon Chaney turning into the Wolfman, creature in the movie Alien, hillbillies on the movie Deliverance, but the most scary was Hal the Computer in the movie 2001. Therefore, just say no to artificial intelligence. Hal will come to life. I remember that. I would make one point. The only reason Hal was scary is because it was in space. That's true. It was 2001 A Space Odyssey, right? Wasn't yeah, but name? I mean, if you had like a Hal on your house, oh, yeah. open the garage door, Hal. No, fine, I'll do it myself. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Chris from Oxford, can you blame them for wanting to get out of Jackson? So, Chris, it's Pearl. It's not Jackson. Uh, Now, Pearl is adjacent to Jackson there, just across the river in Rankin County. But that that had nothing to do with it. Uh, The the attendance is down. You know, it's since they opened. Um, But it, it had to do, I think, more with at least what their explanation is. We want to have all our teams in Georgia. Two is, there's somebody out there that'll build us a brand new stadium, and we're going to leverage, uh, or should say capitalize on that leverage. You can't blame them for that. I mean, until somebody says no, they're going to understand that that's the market reality and get whatever the heck they can. It's a business. That is the business of baseball. Just like all this other stuff. Those are sports. They're businesses. First and foremost, their business. And one of the selling features for the business of the Mississippi Braves was you you can come to a game and see the future stars of the Atlanta Braves. Yep. Which, that was a regular occurrence, it seemed, in the first decade or so of the team. But how many players have you seen play in Pearl that then made it to the big leagues in the last decade? I mean, Ronald Acuna Jr., it's about the only one. I yeah, I mean, so typically, you know, this they go from Double A AA to Triple A, right? And stop. But there, there have been some that got called up straight from the Mississippi Braves. There can be it just and it, it really the way that works, you know, that it's just they look at the depth chart. Okay, who we got at, at the big league? Who's next on the Triple A? Who's then go down? And it just it's all about how all that matches up. It's the um, who is it in uh, Memphis? The Redbirds, the Triple A franchise for St. Louis Cardinals. You know, I'm not sure how they're doing. They were actually one of my customers, believe it or not, in a fantastic park right down there in downtown Memphis. I think attendance is pretty good, if I'm not mistaken. Now, I haven't been in a few years, but it's really a neat venue, and and uh, they built uh, you know a big multi-story parking facility. It's really nice. I mean, it's a lot of fun. Have an outfield you can sit in, do a picnic and stuff. But we'll see. It's um, it's crazy stuff. Ben from Madison, I'm surprised they didn't have the stadium paid for by now. I believe it was built 20 years ago. Yeah, I haven't really checked in, Ben, to the status of the debt, but um, it's it's a problem in that I don't think it's exactly panned out the way it was projected, and I think that's obviously causing some problems. But the bigger thing is the team says, hey, we can, we can go back to Georgia, get closer to the, the – major league the big league team and 
Somebody over there will probably build us a stadium. I think that's the bottom line here. We're stepping aside for a break. Don't forget, uh, at 12.05, it's Representative Trey Lamar. Please stay with us. We're in the Element Wealth Studio. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. So technically, the the owner is Diamond Baseball uh, Holdings, Holdings, which which uh, owns twenty eight minor league teams, including the Embraves. They're going to be moving to Columbus, Georgia, and Columbus, Georgia has agreed to spend fifty million bucks to renovate an old nineteen twenties minor league stadium in Columbus. To host uh, the Braves, what is now the M Braves. That's where they're moving to. That's what it looks like. Wow. Incredible. Um, you know, again, and by the way, this happened, did I read it right? 2008? Is that the year that the uh, stadium was built and they started playing? Surely not. I swear I thought it was... I, th- I thought I saw that. 15 years. We'll have to take a look at that. But it, it didn't seem like it had been that long to me. But that's uh, really something. The attendance has been down, as we said. It's been it a broke problem. broke around May 11th, 2004, and it was opened April 18th for opening day 2005. Okay. So I missed it a couple of years there. So, 18 years. That's incredible. Totally is. But this will be the last season. Yeah, their 20th season in Pearl before they head over to Columbus, Georgia. That's what it looks like. What taxes, Thomas, specifically to support the stadium? I, I'm not. Did they raise taxes? I don't know. I'm asking that question. Are you familiar with anything? Did, I, I'm not aware that there's any increase in the sales tax. If you think about where cities get their money, the other would be uh, ad valorem taxes. I'm not aware that the city of Pearl increased either, but I could be wrong on that. I think it was all based on uh, revenue they would receive just through all the economic development, which would generate, of course, taxes, chief of which would be sales taxes from the retail and hotels, accommodations, restaurants, and so forth around the area that sprung up. And all that did, I just don't think it's at the level necessary to make the economics work. Uh, ben from Madison said, I thought it was 04, 05, gotcha. He says, I'm surprised they didn't have the stadium paid for by now. Earlier we shared that with you. And um, 
Yeah, I don't, like I said, I don't know what the status is of the debt. I want to say there is still a balance on it. I don't know what the term was, you know, of the original bonds that they floated to cover it. But, you know, this sort of stuff's happening, by the way, at the major league and NFL, NBA level. It's not unique to, to minor league uh, baseball, for sure. It's um, This sort of stuff's happening at the highest levels in professional sports as well. So, again, if a Columbus, Georgia says, hey, we're in for $50 million, they're going to go. I mean, that's what's happening here. You get a brand-new $50 million facility in a, in a town that's not far from the major league franchise there, certainly closer. Don't know if they use this or not, but maybe they use tax increment financing, yeah, known as a TIF. It's where you take some of the increase in sales tax and use that to pay off debt. Usually that debt would be then tied to infrastructure improvements you made for the, uh, the project. Uh, that's from Dave in Monticello. That, that's right, Dave. That is a, a tool uh, typically used or commonly used, I should say, in economic development projects, um, so-called Tax incentive financing, TIF. Yep, and I don't know. <clears throat> Again, I'm I'm not familiar with the details. I apologize for that. I haven't really researched all that closely. The issue more, I guess, focused on the fact that the team is has announced officially that they are leaving, and they're going to Columbus, Georgia. That's what we know at this point. Seventy-eight million in bonds originally were sold by the city of Pearl for the project. That included $28 million for the, the stadium, and the rest of the debt was just used to develop the area and incentivize Bass Pro Shops, et cetera. Robin Hasberg says the Redbirds averaged 3,030 people per game in 2023. That doesn't sound real great, honestly. That's a AAA team. In Memphis, I think... Um, we were, what, 2,300 or so average attendance at Braves games? So for a double-A team in a much smaller town than Memphis. So appreciate that, Rob. But but I will say this, Rhino, some of these big league teams will say, you know, we don't care if we make money or not in our minor league uh, venues. We care about developing players, and it's just a cost that they see. So I'm not sure if that's the case here, especially with a third party. I don't know. I don't understand the arrangement between the franchise itself, the owners of the Atlanta Braves, and the company. In this case, it's uh, Diamond Holdings, which owns and operates 28 minor league teams. So it's kind of a third party involved there. Interesting. We're stepping aside for a break right now. We are coming right back after Fox News and Super Talk News. It's Representative Trey Lamar. He may be running a little late, but we'll get him on when he gets here. Stay with us. We're coming back. And now, the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi.
We are back in the Element Well studio. We thank you so much for joining us on this hump day. Maybe Pearl should consider converting stadium uh, to an entertainment venue. Well, that's been uh, discussed uh, somewhat. That's Andy and Jackson. That's um, That could be problematic, Andy, just because uh, the stadium's really not kind of designed around accommodating, I think, entertainment. Not saying they can't do that, and I think you will see that, but that that's still likely to... Um, I guess produce revenues is still far short of the needs here. But we welcome to the program now Representative Trey Lamar. He represents District 8 and also has uh, previously served as the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. means it's his job to make sure we got the money coming in in general. But, uh, Representative Lamar, I know you've just come in from the Capitol. We appreciate it, sir. Good to see you. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Gerard. Appreciate you having me. Glad to be in the studio. The last few times I've, I've been on, I have been... Remote, and although technology is nice, it just still it's nice to be in person. Yeah, well, we're glad to see you as well. You guys have uh, been in session now for a little over a week. Uh, don't have our committee assignments yet. I'll kind of start by asking yep. you that. Uh, where What are you hearing? When do you expect to see those announcements? Well, we, uh, Speaker White, we had to get everybody sworn in. You know, it's a formal process. We did everybody but the governor last week, and then obviously Tate Reeves was sworn in with his inauguration yesterday. So uh, during that time, um, since last Tuesday, I know Speaker Jason White, which is our new speaker in the House, has been working uh, diligently and hard on the committee assignments, which is not an easy task. You've got um, 122 representatives uh, that all have the right to select their committees of preference, and then the speakers get to put that into a formula that, that he feels is best. And so uh, that's what he's been working on. Uh, we expect that to be announced probably the end of this week. Okay. Well, I mean, that's fairly normal, though, isn't it? Isn't it, um, Representative Lamar? It's fairly normal, that sort of time frame. For it is. It is. So, you know, roughly a week and a half or so, if you go back to last Tuesday, and I think with a, a new speakership and uh, 25 new freshmen in the House, that's actually getting it done pretty quickly. So, But that's that's what we believed yeah. is going to happen at the end of this week. So there'll be some be some folks that are happy, some folks that are not happy, and you know, but we're all on the same team, and hopefully they'll they'll realize what part of the wagons they'll be pulling okay. uh, come Friday. Well, are, at this point, is uh, is your desire to remain involved in ways and means? It is. Uh, I think you and I have had many conversations about that for um, over the last several years. Yeah. We, we've got uh, we've we've started um, uh, really some comprehensive tax reform that would be transformational for the state of Mississippi and the future generations of our state. Uh, we're not quite there yet, uh, and I would like to continue to serve in that capacity so that hopefully we can get to a uh, a tax structure that's that's that um that rewards work and that's much more fair to our uh, our citizens uh, for the for the future generations. Okay, well, where, where do you see that going at this point, uh, Representative Lamar? Of course, we've got what I've described as kind of a down payment on full elimination of the income sure. tax. We we did make some progress there, eliminating the three percent. Bracket and then uh, reducing the four percent. Pardon me, the five percent right. down to four percent over three years. We're in the middle of that right now. As a we matter are. of fact, that, that is correct. That. And uh, just to give you an idea, we, you know, everything is on the table. And yeah. I just say it that way. We're look. We're taking a look at everything from income tax to sales taxes to property taxes. You know, we've got some real needs in this state, uh, and so there's an opportunity for some great leadership. Uh, to be provided over the next couple of years as to how we need these needs that are 
that are um, either legal needs we have or legal requirements we have with the PERS system. Yep. That it, there ain't no, there's no way around it. It just costs a lot of money. Yep. It is what it is. And there's obligations there to the to the retirees and public employees of the state. And then uh, we've got needs that are a core function of government with our highway system. We've got to continue to meet some of those needs. We have currently the next to Alaska, the lowest gas tax in the state. The country. In the, I'm sorry, in the yeah. country, yes. Obviously in the country. So in Alaska, they've got some things up there in Alaska. Yeah. One, they got a whole lot less roads. <laughs> and then number two, they get this thing called oil that, that, that pays for a lot of their, <laughs> yep. their, their roads and, and government up there. So all that said, uh, what we've been doing the last couple of years in the ways of um, gas taxes with our increased revenues that the state's bringing in, we're essentially subsidizing uh, the lowest gas tax in the nation other than Alaska. Um, with money from our general fund. Uh, obviously, if you look at those things, uh, money from our general fund is paid only by Mississippians. That's your income tax. That's your sales sales taxes that come in mainly by Mississippians. Right. I say. But the gas tax, that is paid uh, by people driving from California to Florida, pay yeah. gas tax in the state. And so there, you know, we need to look at that. Um, we don't need to just be, hey, it's off the table. Um, but the whole structure of taxes – is on the table for us to look at, and the, the ultimate result will be how do we pay for our core functions of government that we and responsibilities that we have in a way that's the most beneficial, most fair, and most competitive for our citizens. Okay. Interesting. So the governor, I think, has made it clear that uh, elimination of the income tax is a top, if not his top priority. Yep. Um, he, he touched on that again yesterday, as I'm sure you're aware, in his uh, inaugural speech, his inauguration speech, I should say. He talked about that. He also focused a lot on economic development and um, and, and how he, he believes strongly in in that as a way to just improve the overall quality of life in our state, uh, job opportunities, of course, uh, revenue, schools, everything uh, does better when our economy's growing and and we're we're thriving there. Um, you, you got some thoughts on that? Well, I, I appreciated the governor's remarks. I was you know trying to listen, but it was a little cold. Yesterday. Yeah, I, don't know I know. If you were there yesterday or not? <laughs> I but, wasn't. I was on the show, but my yeah. daughter was across Ooh. the street in the secretary of state's office watching from inside. <laughs> yeah, there was a uh, there was a a, a brisk wind. Yeah, uh, I think even even to the point where uh, it was a north wind, but affected. We had a little helicopter flyover, which was a neat aspect of the ceremony. And yeah. The helicopters appeared to be flying sideways at one time. But yeah. um, anyway, they made it. Uh, and, and, again, the governor's remarks were, were good. I appreciated him mentioning the, the elimination, ultimate elimination of the, the individual income tax in Mississippi, which would make us the 10th state in the nation to not have a, a, an income tax or what I like to call the tax on work. Yep. Um, and so, uh, obviously, sitting as a chair of Ways and Means, I joined the governor in those efforts. We've got to figure out ways to do it responsibly. And that's why everything's on the table. Okay. Um, but the ultimate, the ultimate goal would be, you know, even going back to what Lieutenant Governor Hoseman has said on many times, I think, in his speech last week, that he believes, and I agree with him on this, that one of our biggest problems as a state is our workforce participation rate. Yeah. So, in the old adage goes, if you want more of something, tax it less. Yeah. So why do we tax work if we don't have to? And I keep going back to that. I've said that over the years many, many times. We want people, more people working. We want them working more to provide for their families. Well, why don't we tax it if, yeah. there's a, if there's a better way to uh, to fund our, our government? And sure. so, anyway, that's what we're going to be looking at. Okay. Well, he pointed out, uh, as you well know, the lieutenant governor, that our, our labor force participation rate, it lags behind the rest of the nation sure. by almost 10 points. And uh, it, it is a problem. You know, the, the question I have, Representative Lamar, is, 
why aren't they working? I, I feel like that maybe that our government or somebody, maybe we should commission a third party to like go into the communities and, and find those that are part of that statistic, which are which are in the 49% that aren't working that can and say, yeah. how come you're not working? It's a challenge, Gerard. It, it is a challenge. And, I, you know, I don't I don't pretend to have all the answers. There was a recent article that came out in the I think it was in the Wall Street it Journal was, yeah. of all places. But Governor Reeves was interviewed along yep. with that article. And so you, the listeners can go back and look and see what some of his answers were to those, to those questions were yep. about why people aren't working. There's there's lots of reasons. Uh, you know, uh, he mentioned that the. The um, the historical part of PERS allowing people to retire at age twenty five with pretty it, good money. It is a big so, one. In fact, I, I'll give you best example I know is uh, the Speaker Gun. I told him he can't go sit on the couch forever, but I had breakfast with him last week, and yeah. and he said, "Hey, I got my first check today. My first <laughs> check. I'm retired now." <laughs> Uh, and I, he well, said, that I, is a factor. I think the governor's right there. And he said, I didn't do anything. And, and now I said, well, you can't you, – we're not going to let you sit on the couch. you yeah. you got to get out there and go to work. But <laughs> but some people, that provides the financial ability for those folks to and, – and they've worked their whole life. They take the position, hey, I don't want to sure. work anymore, and that's their prerogative. That's but right. That's that's an issue, and there's there's lots of other issues. A lot of – some of it is cultural. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and, and there's not easy answers there. I know. But, but you know what I'm saying, though. It's like – we, I don't know that we can just sit in the Capitol and make policy that'll change that without really understanding what's the root cause here, you know, yeah. to to address that. And I was just thinking about, uh, let's go to the people who are in this stat, this forty nine percent. Say, how come you ain't out there, you know, working? We got well, plenty of jobs for you. I would love some some real commissioned or studied data on that, and and th- I think that's a the good idea. That would be something we could dig down into and really get to the root of that, and and how we can improve those numbers. Because yeah. if you go from Whatever we are, 53, 54% up to improve 10 percentage points to yeah. 64, 65%. That, that makes a real difference Huge in, difference. in our state. Huge difference. Yeah. yeah. We got Representative Trey Lamar in the Element Well studio. We're stepping aside for a break, coming right back. That keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. Heavy metal there from Poison. Appreciate I don't know that. I call that heavy, but well, more hair metal. I was going to say the the big hair bands, right? Of the '80s, you always think of Poison as one of those. We are back in the Element Well Studio. We're visiting with Representative Trey Lamar. So um, we we talked a little bit about uh, taxes and tax reform and some progress we've made there, Representative Lamar. You know, one thing I, I want to share with you is I actually thought the first bill that uh, was drafted and was put on the table passed the House, did not pass the Senate that uh, did, in fact, call for some some slight uh, upward adjustments of sales taxes, yeah. but eliminated the income tax in a fairly short order. I actually think that was the best legislation we had. 
I don't. Uh, well, I drafted it. So I know. I know, know you I did. And I, so. I didn't say that because well, of that. I've said yeah. it before. I thought that was a good bill. So I agree with you 100. Uh, percent You know, my opinion, sales tax is a much more fair tax, uh, and, and I'm not alone in that. There are states all across the country where the uh, the overall sales tax rate is higher than what Mississippi right. is. When you combine the state, the yeah. city, the county, all that. And, yeah. And so everybody pays the sales tax, yeah. and and if you want, it, it gives more individual freedom to the taxpayer. Yeah. If they if they want to go work and earn their money and save it, well, they can do that. Yeah. Or they can go buy a boat and pay tax on it. But that was a much more, uh, in my opinion, fair and better uh, plan. But just I, what I would say is just sit tight. Like I said, okay. like I said a few okay. minutes ago, there's the whole the whole code is on the table we're, we're going to continue to take strong looks at everything okay. uh, and you know we've got new leadership in the house and and obviously lieutenant governor there is in the senate you know i'm going to keep pushing for as long as i sit in this seat for a a more fair uh tax code that actually rewards work um going forward and, and we're going to look at all the different ways we could we could accomplish that in a reasonable time frame and there are likely some retirees out there that are mad at us because they're seeing us as advocating for raising their taxes since their income is tax exempt and we can't change that i don't think that's a that's Something happened a long time ago, and they would see increase in the sales tax. But, you know, you and I have done the analysis and the modeling on that. It's a tiny amount of money, and I think I even shared with you and, and a speak, a former Speaker of the House, Philip Gunn, maybe we can come up with something to kind of work yeah. around that. Yeah, there, I think there's some compromises there that, that I'm uh, studying and working on, and when the time is right, we'll okay. I'll come back on and we'll, we'll work through all that. There, there are... We've discovered some other options um, that we have, and, and I look forward to, to having further more in-depth discussions okay. on that this this session. And we should also point out, you just uh, shared with me on the break, that uh, we just got our latest revenue reports from the Department yeah. of Revenue, DOR. Still looking good there. We're looking great there. We're up uh, uh, We're halfway through the year, so this is the six-month mark, uh, and we're up uh, right at $100 million over the estimates for this year, and that's after the tax cuts that we've had. So, yeah. you know, somebody, some of the more liberal media has pointed out, well, they're down on income tax collections are down. Of course they're down. Yeah. We cut the we're, income tax on work. <laughs> that's, that's what we that, wanted. That's what was the, designed to do, but we're up on sales tax. That's we're right. up on other areas. And so, um, yeah, that's we're, we're good. And I'll say this, that's we're still bringing in roughly a billion dollars more than what we're spending on state government. And we're spending about a billion dollars more on state government than we were about three years ago. Yeah, so we, we've had tremendous increases in our expenses. And I would argue with you, and I know um, Speaker White and I have had many conversations about this. I've heard him say the same thing. The the way that we've increased the spending the last two to three years is not sustainable. So that's one of the things that he wants to get a, a handle on, uh, and and I believe you're going to see that from House leadership going forward is that we cannot continue to have two three hundred million dollar increases a year. Now, granted, a big part of that was our teacher pay raise, and those, those are needed investments that was needed, but we can't have that every year. Yeah, it's not sustainable. So. We're still a billion dollars to the good in what we're bringing in, and so there's room for continued investments in our highway infrastructure. There's room for any investments we need to help make and shore up the PERS system, which That's is a, a huge thing. topic. Yep. And there's, quite frankly, there's room to continue to work on eliminating the income tax okay. in the state. And okay. that's, those are those are our major goals. Well, let's keep working on it uh, methodically and responsibly, and I feel confident you guys will. So let's uh, let's talk about some other things. What about uh, the ballot measure process? That's one that 
always seems to come up. It sure. gets a lot of attention. I'm sure you hear it from your constituents. I hear it on our on our text line and just anecdotally. Yeah, so it it it, uh, <laughs> it, it ignites a lot of um, a lot of uh, emotion around that issue. There's probably <laughs> some people talking about it right now. Uh, I heard uh, Speaker White. I believe it was yesterday or the day before, uh, and I agree with him on this. We expect the House to move a bill and pass that early on in the session. So, you know, what what the Senate does with it, I don't know. Um, it, that, that bill died in the Senate last year, uh, but the House has passed it now a couple different times, and I expect the House to pass it again this year. Okay. The only thing, if we're getting a little bit in the weeds to me, that I, I want to change in, in the version that passed the House last year did have this in there. I, I don't believe that should be – allowed to change the Constitution. If, if people want to use the ballot measure to put something in statutory law, that's fine. Um, and that's that's what I support. Okay. So I was glad to see that change being made, and I expect that change to be in the future legislation as well. I think that has broad support in both chambers. Yeah. I think it's uh, really it comes down to what the signature requirements should be. That seems to be where the most uh, contention is between the House and the Senate. That's we'll right. see where that goes. And there are some, you know, Representative Lamar, that don't want a ballot measure process whatsoever. Yeah. You know, they, they've indicated that. But seems like it's it's something that people want um, overall, I would say, broadly. Well, the people want it. And, yeah. And, you know, and there's yeah, – I'm not so naive to – you know, I see both sides of it. I know that that can be manipulated at times. At the time, right before the, the time the Supreme Court was – uh, looking at that case and ended up striking down as, as unworkable the current scheme, uh, current uh, constitutional scheme on ballot initiative. Yeah. There's a talk of people putting, having ballot initiatives on wine and grocery store and marijuana and uh, Medicaid expansion and abortion yeah. and all these things that, um, you, you know, you, you, I'm not going to get into each one, but we're talking about really selling wine and grocery stores. Is that really something that we need to, to end up in our constitution and, and the answer for that is no in my opinion so that that part of it needed to be changed yeah if it goes in statutory law and something silly through a clever marketing scheme ends up in law you can change it yeah, yeah and so um I, i'm okay with that okay well and that that again i think has broad support um sure. statutory is posted in embedded in the constitution um let's talk about school choice education freedom this is something that it gets discussed almost uh, every session. We have yep. some degree of that already with the, as you know, the dyslexia scholarship, special needs scholarships. We have charter schools. It stops short of what most proponents of school choice want, more universal school choice. And yep. it, it uh, it's not something I felt like that uh, the prior speaker had a lot of interest in, in really pushing. Um, I, I don't feel like the lieutenant governor does either, honestly. Um, the governor uh, seems to have a strong interest in it. Um, he doesn't come up a lot. But uh, Speaker of the House Jason White says he's at least willing to take a look, you know, and let's sure. talk about it. And that's just one thing I've, I've um, been excited about with uh, with uh, Speaker Jason White's leadership so far is, you know, we're not going to be scared to talk about tough topics yeah that's exactly uh, right and, and you know we don't need to be the leadership of this state does not need to be naive uh might i add the republican leadership of this state so the people of this state elected you know republican office holders in wide margins all across the state whether it be through the legislative uh, body or through statewide offices and we would be uh, really ignorant of reality if we don't look at school choice as being a hot topic all across this country, yeah. I mean, we don't have to go far. We just look right across the Arkansas. Arkansas to see what Governor um, Sanders mm-hmm. uh, did over there. And so 
it's not just Arkansas. It's West Virginia. It's Arizona. It's you, I mean, it's a bunch of states. Somebody told me today it's twenty something states that have some version of school choice. I know Florida. Florida is a big one. Yeah, uh, it's a hot topic right now in Texas and in Louisiana. I mean, and Alabama's close, and they're coming. So you can't just ignore it. Yeah. Uh, and so I would challenge our. Either that be the, the lieutenant governor, the Senate leadership, or anybody else who just wants to ignore it. To, to, I don't think that's what the voters sent us here to do is ignore something that is uh, that our that the, our parents and taxpayers of this state are um, saying is important. Yeah. So let's look at it. Obviously, I think that the devil is in the details on something like that. That's right. Um, but it doesn't have to be overly complicated. But, you know, we can empower parents to have uh, more choice and freedom if that's what's best for their children. Um, you know, and there's there's really not anything wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, how it's, do we do it without hurting people? That's right. That's that's the that's the key. Well, the goal should be, and, and you know, I, I'm an advocate for it, and, and I, I just want folks to know, and I, I know you believe this way as well, the goal should be not to harm anything that's working. We sure. don't want to mess anything up that's, that's uh, functioning properly. Rather, we want to we want to provide some options that help and support and uh, improve things where improvement is needed. That's right. Uh, you know, I, I just keep going back to, you know, there are people, there are children sitting in areas of this state that really aren't being afforded an education. Yeah, you we, know, we and, need to address that. And there are moms or dads of those children that that don't have options, and they don't have options because the law doesn't allow them to have options. Yeah, that's not right. So can we help those kids without doing damage uh, to, to other institutions that are doing a good job? I think we can. Okay. It's challenging, but I think we can get there. Well, I agree with you, and I, I'm glad to hear um, you, your position in sure. that respect. So always appreciate you coming on there, Representative Trey Lamar, and I'm sure we'll be seeing you down at the Capitol, and it looks like it's going to be an active session at a minimum. <laughs> it's it's a, lot, a lot of balls in the air to juggle, but uh, we're going to keep keep hacking away at it and hopefully come away with uh, some some progress for the people of the state. Sounds good. Appreciate it. Coming right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. Okay, is everybody ready? I'm ready. Ready here. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Some tickets to give away to ZZ Top. They're coming to the Brandon Amphitheater on 320. Go, Rhino. Yeah, the tickets are going to go on sale at Ticketmaster.com or the Brandon Amphitheater box office this Friday at 10 a.m. But now you've got a chance to win a pair of tickets to see ZZ Top at the Brandon Amphitheater in Brandon on March 20th. All you got to do is be the 21st person to text in the word TUSH. To the ceasefire text line that's 601-879-4395 be the 21st person to text in tush and you'll get a pair of tickets to see zz top at the brandon amphitheater on march 20th there you go what's the number what number wins 21 21 
Okay, got it. Tush. <laughs> Another great tune there. On the ceasefire text line, bill to let federal employees buy back their time is up again. Very important to postal employees that this passes. I assume that has to do with uh, time towards their retirement. Uh, let's see. Paula Meridian says, I guarantee you 100%. We would not have medical marijuana today if it were not for the ballot initiative. I vote Republican almost 100%. It boggles my mind that with 70% national approval rate, Republicans nationwide seem to have a stick up there, you know what, and won't get behind marijuana reform. You know, the president announced... Was well, it? there's a mathematical reason for that. What's that? You have 70% approval, but 50 of that 70% comes from Democrats. Oh, yeah, agree. Which so is, if only 20% of your voters are for something, that's true. it's kind of hard to be for something when... In your party. Correct. Yeah, and you could say uh, the same about uh, abortion. Uh, is is typically uh, polls at sixty five percent approval uh, up to like the fifteen week mark, uh, which includes a mix of Republicans and almost all Democrats, as you point out. And I and I do think that um, that's why I do think that some of these things would pass at the ballot that can't get through the legislature under Republican control, such as Medicaid expansion, such as recreational marijuana, such as uh, some relaxation of abortion restrictions, because you'd get virtually all the Democrats, which represent 40% or so of of, uh, the voters in the state, and you would peel off sufficient number of Republicans to, uh, uh, to pass the measures. Absolutely. Do believe that? Well, let's see here. Uh, Ray and Clinton, I think with all the benefits that are available for the non-working and the cost of living in the state of Mississippi, they learned during COVID they don't have to work to survive. But here's the thing, though, Ray. I, I hear you, and most of that was available before then, and it's it's not that much. I mean, what bothers me is that that's all you aspire to, just survive. I mean, it's not like you're living a lavish lifestyle I also hear a lot from folks that say a number of these non-working adults just live together. I mean, there's just I mean, there's several under one roof sharing expenses to to make ends meet. It's like you don't aspire to more than that. That's what bothers me. It's not that we've set a system up. I guess you could say that uh, is a problem, and that you can figure out a way to survive. But that's all you care about is just surviving. That's that's your ambition? Where are we failing that we're not getting beyond that? You know what? Gosh, what happened to the days when you you sort of grew up thinking about, uh, you know, dreams that you had, uh, which included some financial success as part of that? I think I always thought that's kind of normal, but now that doesn't seem to be the case. The dream is I just don't want to work. <laughs> you it's know, too I, hard. Yeah, exactly. Requires too much risk, and I'm hearing too much re- effort. I'm hearing reports from friends in in business talk about folks entering the workforce, young folks, and and their um, their work ethic, their lack thereof of their work ethic, that they just don't seem to be motivated to really excel or, or output more effort to kind of ascend the economic ladder. It's mind boggling to me. 
Then you have others that figure out ways to leverage a lot of these tools available today, and they get filthy rich in a short period of time at a very young age. And that's fine. That's what it's all about. That's why I've said you know, many times there are more routes to earning wealth today than there ever have been because of this. There, there are ways of capitalizing on your ideas, getting those to the market, making money off that, way more than there were short 20 years ago. So I don't know. I, I just I scratch my head like, why don't you want more than that? Interesting. Their streaming services are terrible, says Dan in Hattiesburg. My local high school can go set up at an away game and have a far superior product for free. I think that's something you were talking about, Rhino, with respect to the Embrace. Unbelievable. Yeah, they they seem to have refused to update or upgrade any of that system or any of the infrastructure required for that system, which is why whenever you have a big game there, like the Governor's Cup or something like that, it it does not look up to snuff compared to even a college team. There's plenty of tools I mean, we do it. have some of the best college teams and college stadiums yeah. in the country here in the Magnolia State, but yeah. you would think that would be uh, an impetus to up your game. But Interesting. now that the Braves are on the way out after this season, it's never going to get upgraded. On the ceasefire text line, could these municipalities not include provisions for the ball team to stay in the city until the stadium is paid for, and likewise the ball club require annual updates to the facilities? Sure, but you know they they don't uh, they can't attract the team when they do that because there are other cities that are willing to not do that. That's the problem. It's a competitive environment, absolutely, and and they have more leverage. Fact is, they have more leverage than the towns that they're negotiating with. And so the towns are competing with each other. And they're falling all over themselves to make a more attractive contract with uh, the terms and conditions to be more attractive. And they're willing to take that risk. I mean, that's the bottom line. And, you, you know, you you probably didn't think back in when it was, 2004, oh, yeah, they're going to leave before this thing's paid for. Probably never thought about that. Or if they did, they discounted it. You know, they thought it was a very low risk. But sure, I, yeah, you can do that all day long. They just say, okay, well, these guys over here aren't requiring that. What are you going to do? And that's the problem. Man, oh, man. Um, let's see here. They may have used, yeah, Dave uh, told us about tax increment financing. Yeah, and, and I I don't see that that was the case, but it could have been. And it's a pretty common way you, you – um, uh, you invest in new development is is with TIFs, which sort of divert some of the additional taxes from the new development or increase in property values first to go pay for the cost of that, and that would be the debt incurred to, to fund it. Interesting. I know it won't happen. This is from uh, Ben from Madison, but if the legislature decides to increase the gas tax, I hope they allow voters to vote on it at the ballot. Says also the MDOT has been pushing for an increase in the gas tax for years. I certainly hope the legislature won't cave into the pressure. This is one of those things I've always felt like I needed more information because I hear I hear folks that advocate for additional gas taxes say that we need it to make all these various improvements in our in our road systems. And I hear those that oppose it say, our road systems are great and they're fine. We don't need any more money. So I, I don't know. I'm not an expert on that, uh, you know, what, what constitutes 
good and bad roads, honestly, and how we fare relative to other states. I've seen reports that say we stack up quite well. I've seen reports that say we don't. Seems may, very subjective. I may tick off some people when I say this, but what's something we've we've stated before is the most expensive expense? People. People, yeah, sure. It's kind of hard to justify giving more money to somebody like MDOT when you drive by a construction zone and there's eight people holding shovels and one person digging. Yeah, and that, that's that's a common uh, refrain you hear a lot, you know, because people see that with their own eyes and they wonder, well, why do we have so many people here? It looks like that. And, you know, I don't know. I haven't investigated that. But certainly on the surface, it looks like a problem. I, I and agree. if it's going to a vote or if you have people contacting their legislators about it, it really does come down to the eye test for the population. No doubt. It's the same thing with the border, right? It's like you, you're not going to sell people on the, this idea that the border is secure when they just see it with their own eyes. I mean, there's plenty of video and photos and everything else about that. It's a similar situation. I mean, everybody in the state, I think, could say, yeah, I've ridden by construction sites and zones where it just looks like there's more people than you need. But I don't know. I'm not an expert in that sort of stuff. Uh, but, but yeah, it seems like there should be uh, some response to that, um, you know, before you start taking up the idea. And it's also true, as Representative Lamar said, we have next to the lowest fuel tax in the nation. Now, that may or may not mean anything. I mean, it's, it comes down to how expensive is it to, um, to deal with road construction and maintain roads in our state versus the others. That should be a factor. Coming right back with a final segment on Midday. Stay with us. Ah, it's so awesome! Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show! On Super Talk Mississippi. I know lots of people have very strong ideas, and we're, we brought this topic up of, of the fuel tax toward the end of the show, and uh, there's so much coming in on that. We can't get to all of it. We'll certainly plan on continuing it tomorrow, and we, have, of course, always appreciate the engagement. First, Rhino, tell us who won here. Well, if I can get them to pull back up here. Okay. Um, so, but I was... All Rambo I'm, and Carthage. Okay, great. And that uh, was to the ZZ Top. We just want to Two tickets to see ZZ Top at the Brandon Amphitheater on March the 20th. Congratulations on that. Uh, I, I don't know if we have more. Probably so. Uh, coming on in future days. I would think, yeah. Yeah. It's usually the case. Uh, but uh, these are complex issues. And uh, when you start looking at transportation, there's so much that is subjective. Some of it is objective. I submit that every organization should constantly be working on Improvements in their in their processes, their organizational structure, uh, etc., their uh, their operational model to be more efficient. Every private business, every public sector business. But here's what I'd say: from a public sector perspective, is it possible that we'd ever get to a point where there'd be broad consensus of of just satisfaction? I'd say no. I'd say no. I don't. Th- I think. If you cut the fuel tax to zero, 
and we had gold-plated roads, people would still complain. That's what's what I'm saying. We've just gotten to a point where it's just become commonplace to just complain and and throw rocks and criticize. And I'm not saying some of those aren't warranted. They, of course, they are. But ah, what's the goal exactly? I mean, should should we work towards elimination of the fuel tax? And then there's always the the somebody said something. I, I can't find it now on the ceasefire text line about. Uh, whether or not we should pursue elimination of the grocery tax. That, uh, well, yeah, sure. I mean, that should be on the table. I totally agree. But, um, you know, it's and made the comment that it seems unfair that you pay taxes on your income, and then the income you have, you spend, you pay taxes from a sales perspective. But they're different revenue sources to different entities. And, uh, I mean, so then, then it, again, it all boils down to the question is, what should the government do, and how much money do they need to do it? And then it's, okay, how do we raise that money to do it? So you start that conversation all over again. It's, it really just, it always does filter down to that, those fundamental questions. Now, I do agree that we don't ask those questions enough. We don't focus on that enough, especially in Washington. And if you think about the way the country's so deeply divided today where at least half or more of the people in this country think the government exists to give them something, right? And they think that the people that are succeeding the most in the country ought to pay for it. That's the essence of Joe Biden's economic plan. I'm going to tax the snot out of this sliver of people, and on the other side, I'm going to give you all this stuff. It's child tax credits, it's child care credits, it's junk fees, it's student loan forgiveness. Just go down the list. I'm going to give you all this money, and don't worry about it. These people are going to pay for it, except they're not, because you still have $2 trillion deficits. And in the state's case, thank God we're we're not spending like crazy and certainly not spending more than we're taking in. So as you heard Representative Lamar say, we're still producing a, a nice surplus, which he believes gives us more room to start cutting down on the income tax. And then you get into the question, well, is it the income tax or the grocery tax? I submit that if you want the most bang for the buck in terms of economic impact and what I believe is the path to improving the quality of life and opportunity in the state of Mississippi and something the governor touched on yesterday, which is trying to build an environment that keeps our best young talent here. Not that our bad talent stays, but I mean, so much of our good talent, he's right, exits, because they can't find opportunity, or they're looking for something that they that they can't get in Mississippi. And he knows the, the way to get there and to keep those people here to so that the, they become generational in our state is to continue to bolster our economy and, and Build opportunity. Expand opportunity. He, he focused on that in his speech yesterday. I agree with him. I personally think that that uh, more generous income tax policy is uh, would have a bit greater impact positively on attracting capital investment in industry than cutting the grocery tax. Cutting the grocery tax would help people today – Right, that yeah, it's short here, term versus long short, term. That's exactly what it is. It's a short term versus long term. You want the most economic impact and benefit, or you you just want the sugar hive today? I'm paying less on my groceries. And I'm not saying everybody wouldn't benefit from that because for the most part we all buy groceries. But when you're going to let's say try to attract industry in the state, 
They're not looking at the grocery tax, I promise you. They're not. We already have, by the way, one of the lowest tax burdens in the country, and we're one of the few states that doesn't have kind of widespread at the county and municipal level additional layers of sales taxes. Because we look at the state sales tax, and everybody says, look, our state sales tax is 7%. Well, in Florida, it's 9 because they layer on county and municipal. Louisiana, Alabama, across the board. We're out of here today, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. Back tomorrow. Stay safe, and God bless. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.